Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Mike. I'm here in the studio with Wade and guest, Josh Johnson. And we're here today to talk about formation, education, liberal arts, kind of a broad topic. We're just going to see where it goes. I muted myself because I was coughing. Hockey. We do hockey. We do some hockey. Um, We've got three. Are they all? Blues aren't original eight, are they? Say again? Are the Blues part of the original eight or? Original six. Original yeah, six. Sorry. This is going off very yeah. poorly. So we in got. Fact, it's right in front of you, the original six. Right? And then Blackhawks? No. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Blackhawks. Wings. Wings. We're all represented. Rangers. Um, Bruins. Canadians. I'm doing this memory now. Maple Leafs. And then. In Las Vegas, uh, right? <laughs> and then in the 60s, now this is interesting, in the 60s, they a massive expansion westward that included the, the St. Louis Blues. And St. Louis was the, um, Scotty Bowman was their coach. And Red Berenson was, was their, one, of their, one of their players. And they were the, the worst of the West. So they went to like three Stanley Cups and like got swept all three times. <laughs> okay. We got off track already. I'm sorry. All right. I'm going to mute myself again. So. Thank you, Wade. All right. So uh, here in the studio, we are a part of the 1517 uh, podcast network. You can go to 1517 and you can find all sorts of things. You can find video courses. You can find books, even books by Wade. You can find uh, daily devotion blogs. You can find lots of podcast options, like, mm-hmm. like 100. Including this one. It's not that much, but it's growing. It's it's probably in the twenties, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, a good one. The Faith and Reason Exchange. I've been I've been doing a little bit with. Uh, I think it's Dave Anderson. Is that right, David Anderson mm-hmm. and Adam Francisco? I think it's worthwhile. But always come back to let the bird fly, as well, and 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 rate, and subscribe, and all the other things we're supposed and to. And thank say. you to everyone who gave for Giving Tuesday. Oh yes, very. They met their goal. Can I? Can I now? The hockey thing made me think of something. Can I tell a Scotty Bowman story that involves the St. Louis Blues? Okay. You ever hear the story about when he went out to the bar and his players were there after curfew? Mm-hmm. So Blues are supposed to be playing. They're at the bar. Um, he goes to the bar. He's the coach. He doesn't have mm-hmm. to obey curfew. Sees all these players out there partying. Doesn't say anything. Goes to the jukebox, puts in his money, and plays uh, Kansas City by Fats Domino. In Kansas City, do you know what that was then? That's where the Blues minor league team was, and then walked out. Nice. nice. That's, a, that's a Scotty Bowman move. Yeah. I've been coaching. into quite a bit of uh, hockey docu, uh, uh, docu, what am I telling Television biopics? shows, yeah, like biopics, stuff like that. I don't know why I can't say, speak today. Anyway. That's right. I have trouble uh, sometimes, l- Lots of good ones. Um, and the recent one was uh, uh, Bob Broberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sad tale. Sad tale, but an interesting one as well. There's a couple in there. It's a fun dude. Yeah, he's a fun guy. Um, all right, so uh, before we go any further, <laughs> Wade, can you help us with this disclaimer? A- absolutely. This show doesn't speak for our, uh, oh, man, this. there's a magnet of Michael being held by Abigail Berg, and you have this bad boy on there. Okay. <clears throat> The show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. 
Because well as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends. And don't let us get in the way. We should have done a hockey free for We'll think of one for next time. Like a literal one, like where we just started punching each other and taking our jerseys oh, over. Yeah, before we punch, we got to do the jersey pull. Get it over. Which I do to my nephews all the time. Like when they wrestle. Who's going to have the best them. record of our three teams this year? Oh, Red Wings. Yeah. yeah I'm feeling good. The captain is, is, is making all things new. Not in a theological way. All right, well, that brings us to our, uh, our main topic. Yeah, maybe we should say, you know, Wade, a Red Wings guy. I'm a Blues guy, and Josh is a Blackhawks guy. Was that so, a, was that a choice, or was that just like fate? Uh, I grew up around Chicago, so it was although all. we could never watch home games, I saw all the away games on TV. Okay, so, so you would have been a perfect Michigander because back in the day, you could have you could watch there'd be two ESPN mm-hmm. games, and then the local local channel, I think 45 for a while, had the Red Wing games. And then you got CBC from right. Canada with an antenna. See, we didn't have cable. So, yeah, I just had CBC. Yeah. Yeah, and so even cable. if you didn't have cable, you could still get, like, when it was really going, you could get, like, three a night. Yeah, sometimes. CBC is how I learned how to survive my teenage years if it weren't for Degrassi High. Yeah. That I don't know. How that you knew how to, how to dress. I don't know that I would have had a sense of humor without kids in the hall. Yeah, or dress classy like... Um, um, who's the Who's the announcer? Don Cherry. Don Cherry. Did you know Don Cherry had a bar in Windsor? Yeah. It was uh, I don't approximately seventeen minutes from my house, yeah. over the bridge, um, and uh, so um, Canada has a lot of great reasons to go and visit. It's a lovely country, especially when you're nineteen and twenty. Mm-hmm. And yeah, especially when you're nineteen, and Detroit doesn't have casinos either yet. Yep. Yeah. Um. So if you wanted to go, say, get some Tim Hortons, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe, uh, I don't know, what else are you doing? I'm trying to think of wholesome things to do. Get you know, it was from Windsor, it's Bob Probert. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you want to go, I think Ford has a plant there that my dad used to deliver to, go see the, the Ford's plant. Um, and maybe go to Don Cherry's Bar, mm-hmm. and then play blackjack. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was right on the strip, and it was uh, it was definitely... There were not many Canadians in there. <laughs> uh, it was a uh, very rowdy American crowd. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time we were there, and uh, we dared one of my buddies. He had to, we had to all see who could go try to dance with the biggest dude in the bar. Like, just go up and st- <laughs> start dancing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and he won, and he did not get, did not get decked. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, Josh, besides being a uh, loyal Chicago Blackhawks <laughs> fan, uh, tell us about yourself. Where have you served? Have you ever been to Don Cherry's, by the way? No. Okay. Sounds I'm like not. a bucket list. Country. I'm going to see yeah. if it's still open. Maybe we'll make a Let the Bird Fly uh, host and friends trip at some point. All right, you guys, you guys anyway, focus tell, on what, what do you do here at WLC? Where, where have you worked? What, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so um, I graduated uh oddly enough, with both of you from Martin Luther College. Uh, I've taught in California, Sacramento, Citrus Heights area, uh, 6th, 7th, 8th grade uh, for five years. Taught in Nebraska Lutheran High School for for a decade. Um, Have been here for, I think this is my eighth year at WLC, kind of in a 
a mixed role. Um, I teach uh, in the education department sometimes. I did a lot of teaching in the, the math department for a while, doing some, some adjuncting and in business um, and then also just kind of working as the, the title's the director of academic technology, um, but we're not really sure what that, that title is. Um, we, we feel like we should change it. We just don't know what we would change it to because I always tell people, I don't think anybody knows, including myself, really what I do at WLC most of the time. But we know you're important. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. It's like We I, know that everything would fall apart without Josh, so... It's like, uh, yeah, they're, you're, my hands somehow get into a lot of different, you know, pies and places. And in some cases, I'm like, I don't think I should really be involved with this at all. Um, you know, just based on, you know, personal experience and expertise. It's like, I don't think I would ask me these questions, but, but, but go ahead. But I'm the only one here. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yes. Josh uh, helps out with like learning management systems. Mm -hmm. Yes. And stuff like that. So very good. But the reason you're on this episode is uh, talk education, right? Uh, you're a lifelong educator, and to to maybe think about formation and 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 how that how the liberal arts play into that, right? And so, um, you know, when we think about formation, we're we're uh, we're educating the whole person, and we realize that it's not just information in, information out, but that. You're forming people spiritually. You're forming people how to think. You're literally forming their brain matter sometimes. Um, you're forming them how to uh, ask good questions and and all those kinds of things. So um, I know you have a lot to say with that. So uh, let, me, let me just give it to you and think. When I say formation, liberal arts, education, what comes to your mind? Why don't you just, just go? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's pretty relevant. Um, just because I'm a, a doc student in search of a research question, but it does seem to to kind of revolve around specifically in higher ed, but in education in general, just kind of that, that question about what education is. And um, I know, at least in my philosophy, I, I took over that class um, for Professor Holman, which was the philosophy of education class. And I've been talking to the my students uh, about their philosophy and really, you know, educating the entire person is something that I don't know when in, you know, our, our country's educational history that seems to have been a shift, but I, I've seen a lot of and been reading a lot of papers recently just about um, like education becoming more of a transaction where I, I guess the American dream, I, I saw an author say like the, not the American dream, but like the American promise is you go to school you do well in school so that you can go to more school. You do well in school there so that you can get a good job. And it just becomes more of a transaction. And people in education, students especially, are, you know, consumers looking to, in some ways, you know, purchase a product like the diploma that they can trade for something else. And, you know, as I look at all of this and how do you market education, whether it's a, a private school or, or higher education in general, I don't see a lot of people talking about the actual learning. You know, it's all about what you can do with the education and why it's important. But it just really struck me like there's this very consumer, you know, idea about it. Um, and I don't and that brings a lot, you know, when you're a customer and customer service, which I think is all good things in education. But I I really start to wonder, I'm like, where where did education and I, I want to say it's third grade. I don't know why. 
but I always want to say like third grade apparently is when, you know, we stop learning and start doing school. Like it, it seems like up until third grade, you know, students who and people who love to learn are curious, you know, we go and we do these things in class and, you know, we're really, really buying into it. But at some point in there, I think, you know, just something about the way school possibly runs and, you know, something happens to us as, as kids that as we go through the rest of it now, I feel like we're just doing school. Um, and some people are really good at doing school. And some people would even argue that doing school is maybe even more important than what, you know, we've traditionally thought of as like the, the three R's, like the connections you make, all of the, the other things that go along with it might be more important than the reading, the writing, the arithmetic, you know, that you learn. And to a certain extent, I agree with that because I think school is more than just, as you mentioned, you know, really well, like the it's not an input output like here, I'm just feeding you all this information and can you regurgitate it? But it really is, um, you know, trying to educate that whole person and taking care of, of them and hopefully getting them to the point where they can then take care and feed themselves with, you know, their future endeavors and the learning that takes place throughout the rest of their lives. Yeah, that remind you when you were talking about uh, the idea of okay, transactional. I get this to get this. It reminds me of Ecclesiastes, where uh, you know you you work so that you can prepare for you could provide for your children so they can work. <laughs> then and and then this is why Solomon says, "What are we doing here? Like this is meaningless, right?" And even going so far as to say, "Wisdom is meaningless." And and I think what. What Ecclesiastes is doing is asking the the big teleological question, why, right? And and so uh, I, I think that could be applied to education. Why are we doing this, right? Um, are we just doing it for for a job, for money, uh, to be successful, or whatever? And uh, you know, I think a lot of students in, in in higher education say this is my path of least resistance to an upper middle class lifestyle. And that's that's such a shallow way of looking at this, and um, so you know why? And I, and I think that's where we start using the term liberal arts. You're a free person. That's where we start using the word formation, human flourishing, all that kind of stuff. But I'm interested to hear more about maybe not just you know okay that third grade it kind of clicks where like now it's like oh I hate going to school mm-hmm. but, um, for a lot of people, but maybe even historically. When did we get to the point where, is it because we're, we have so much assessments and tests or whatever? I, I'm also interested uh, in, in your take on this, not to throw too many questions at you, but it fascinates me that America has, has I think, done a fantastic job of insisting that everybody get an education. And we kind of wake up thinking that that just was the case for the history of the world, and it just wasn't. And, and I mean, just just that that's unquestioned in our time is actually, I think, quite quite miraculous. At the same time, when you have to educate everybody, then you're 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 inevitably going to be like rules and laws. You have to go to school, you have to pass a test, you have to do this, right? And so it's a double-edged sword that way, where you want an educated citizenry. And and we, we, we think highly enough of humanity to say everybody's going to get this and we'll pay for it. We will pay for it. Um, but uh, when once you get into that realm of the law, then you lose the love of learning. And when you do that, then 
Well, you lose something, don't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and I, I think with um, kind of what you guys have been hitting on too in, in the idea of you work so that your kids can then work and um, the idea of education being transactional, I think this is where we're seeing, interestingly, people from all sorts of angles having issues with the educational system in the country or just education as it's as it is because we've seen a tide kind of turn, I think, after the boomers going into the millennials of um, which Europe, I think, had seen earlier of a super educated generations that now were not only not kind of promised a better life economically than their parents had, um, but were kind of paying the residual debts um, on what their parents had, societal debts of what was what was possible. And I think it's interesting then that, that people then will dismiss the importance of education um, just as someone wants to use it to get ahead economically, they'll now dismiss it because it's not promising economic benefits and in in the in the mix then in the middle of of everything um you know the the idea of why did we make education a a formal requirement in the country to begin with and in the west before that why was there a push um gets kind of lost in it i mean there was a utilitarianism to it that you want a good citizenry but there's a lot more than just you're going to go get a job. In, in fact, um, that wasn't even the primary driving concern. But I, I do think uh, higher ed has somewhat fueled this and will be subject to it. I think um, the, the testing that takes place in schools, but especially, I mean, I just, I think back to high school and those tests you would take for like what career you should find. And, and the idea that, um, you know, you were supposed to, come out of those years as either a cog in the wheel that could be plugged right in or go on to college to be a, a cog in the wheel. And we were on the front end of, like, tuition going up. It still wasn't bad for us. Like, no. we – I feel less bad about some of the credit hours I squandered than I – like, I do judge my students more harshly for squandering their – because they cost more. Like, and maybe that's unfair, but it's, like – I don't know. It's like if I if I crash a two thousand dollar car or a th- or a three hundred thousand dollar car, I'm gonna, I feel like uh, two thousand dollar car that was irresponsible, but like you know, not much harm done. Um, but the long story short, to get at what what both what the various sides are seeing is the fault with education is that society is, is spending a ton on this. In many cases, individuals are going in a way into debt for this. And not only are they not being equipped to be free intellectually, critical thinkers, um, but they're not f- equipped to be free economically, societally, and individually. We're facing huge amounts of debt. Um, and, and so in, in many ways, people associate it with unfreedom. Um, one of my kids always, used to always talk about, they should make us wear orange because it's a prison. <laughs> um, but sometimes that's not so far off no. with, with what's happening. I'll, I'll stop yeah. there, but I... Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a three-part episode now, because there's mm-hmm. at least, I probably could fill the entire thing on just a couple of those questions, whether you wanted to talk about standards or, you know, why. I like to start with the why education, um, you know, existed, because I, naively, you know, being a teacher, I always thought, like, oh, we instituted this common school in the United States to, 
you know, try to help. And I, I agree with the informed citizenry and, you know, the, um, I think like Thomas Jefferson, when he was talking about like, unless you want to have this dictator rule, you need to have people that are informed and educated and can vote. But, uh, a lot of it was really about more the people, like the, the fact that we had just gotten through, you know, being 13 individual countries and <laughs> we're putting together this school system to really ins- like give a, a common national pride yeah. and view of life. And, uh, there's a lot of people in education that would argue that that was the only school reform that ever worked because that's what the school system we see now was designed. It was designed to give people that shared experience. And, you know, at the time it was a common Christian viewpoint and morals and virtues and understanding, you know, what was um, right and wrong. Uh, I know the argument at the time, you know, to people, that didn't have the argument was if you could get an education, you can, like you said, have that mobility to move up in life. And to people that had, they said it's important for you to educate the general populace because otherwise, what kind of morals and virtues do these people have that they're not just going to say like, well, but I want that. I'm just going to take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you fast forward through all of the things that, that schools have tried to, to solve and, the idea of testing, I always th- thought was really interesting. Um, you know, it's 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 obviously the the accountability, but I know it really struck a chord um, a couple months ago when you recorded where you were talking. Um, this was at the three college conference, and you were talking about testing and school and grades, and just saying, "Let's not worry about the grade. Like, just focus on learning." You know, the grades they're going to take care of themselves, but that is a, a real thing with students. And I, I think um, to a certain extent, you know, I, I, this may be wrong, but I used to always use the, the, I guess, the illustration that, you know, grade point averages were created, I believe it actually was created by Harvard um, as a way to rank students. And as a teacher, I'm like, I really don't care where you rank. I just want you to learn and focus on that Except part the kid of it. on the bottom. The kid on the bottom should know. Oh, the kid <laughs> on the bottom. But I, I, it gets back even to uh. that that consumer part. It's like as a as let's say it as a higher education you know institution, you only let in a certain caliber of students because not only are they the consumers, the people you're trying to give that education, but they're also your product and the way that you demonstrate, yeah. you know, that you're good. And so people have always you know wondered about let's say a school like Harvard, it's like, well, they accept the best and the brightest students and they graduate the best and the brightest students. So what exactly did they do? Um, and that's, that's a really, you know, tough part when you're then trying to market your school and especially considering the, what the mission might be to say, I want to take in the students that need the education the most, that have the most to gain by it. And then point out, yeah, it's like, coach them up. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, Aren't that's Antonio years. That's such a I mean, it, it 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 if you ask people with their cons well, I don't know if it's really a conspiracy, but people will talk about, you know, after the I think it was No Child Left Behind was like the big eighties scare in education and how the United States education was was mediocre at best. And so we started having a lot of this testing brought into schools. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people will argue that the, the testing was brought in so that you could demonstrate that a school was failing. 
you know, and then you can fast forward to, you know, where that gets you later. Like, oh, if I can identify a school as failing, then I have the means to close it. Um, you know, and it, it gets into a lot of really. Uh, Which also leaves people teaching in panic mode. Yeah. And administrative. Yeah. It, and, you know, there's, it's just, it, it never seemed like the, the point in education to build someone up. It's like we, we talk about that and we do talk about, you know, when you're teaching kids and when you're teaching young adults, like they have to embrace failure as the way to learn. It's like we, we want to build people up, but we spend most of our time showing them where they failed. And I don't know that, um, you know, that a lot of my students quite yet, depending on where they are, you know, in their maturity level have realized like pointing out the failure is supposed to not only inform you as the student and the teacher, like where, where do we need to work? You know, the failure too often comes as part of like a summative, like, Oh, you failed at this. And it just kind of reinforces the, you know, I was always bad at math. You know, it's like, Oh man, you probably know more math by the time you were done with eighth grade than I learned, you know, through most of high school, like you're not bad at math, but, the testing just kind of keeps you looking at it going like, yeah, but I don't measure up to whatever standard. And so I don't know what that does to people overall when then they feel like, oh, I'm just going to school to study for these tests. And again, then it turns into that transaction. What percentile am I? Yeah. I think the, um, the idea of failure too. So there was a, an an article I was reading last night um, on Harvard and I think it was Yale and, like, already before COVID, but since COVID, like, the great inflation. And it was, like, the different um, majors and the percent of A's and whatever. But, it, it, you know, there's places where it's approaching 70%. And, uh, you know, faculty is, is nervous about this with students. You know, what reaction are we going to get? Because we, we've not equipped a lot of them to fail well, which I don't blame them for. Like, they weren't taught, right? They weren't taught it. Um, but they had a dean, I can't remember if it was from Harvard or Yale, I think it was a dean that was quoted in there. And he's just, he, like, in a faculty meeting, I guess he had addressed it someone and, like, reminded faculty that, like, your grades are, are supposed to be to show um, places you can grow. You know, and I think we do look at it the opposite way of, like, oh, these grades show where I'm defective. But the whole point of an education is to show, like, where you can grow. And I, I, I joke, you know, Michigan State football back in the day or Spartan Dogs are coaching someone up. But you look, there's something about a coach who inherits a program that's just like an elite program, and he's going to keep getting elite athletes, and it's going to stay relatively elite. And you look at, you know, pick a school where someone comes in, takes what he has, coaches that up, and then, like, builds a culture of it. Like, where is the more meaningful education happening? And we might not get the person to, you know, whatever – we want the metric or standard to be, but we're also edu- just as that you're educating from a place of panic. If you're fail, you're at a school that supposedly is failing. You're also educating from a place of fear. If you never bother to educate people who are, you, you're you're just you're just patting kids on the head and saying, "Yep, you're you're bright." Um, and I don't. I do a spiel on, on syllabus day where I talk about like the A B shall inherit the earth. Like, you know, the ones that are all clenched up about the A's, whatever, eventually they're going to end up, like, snapping, you know, divorced, hooked on meth or something, probably (laughs) an upper because they're successful people. Like, they lose it at work or whatever. And who steps in? Well, it's like the AB does. The AB steps in because they've, like, 
they've been trained for this and they've had fun along the way, you know, like it, um, but I, I think, um, those, the testing and the standards also, as you've kind of got it, they're not looking at the whole person. They're putting you in a percentile for, for things that are divorced from each other. And I know, um, people who may have been very low in, in math, but are doing carpentry or, you know, other work where in their head they are integrating their knowledge and doing math in a way that people who scored high in math according to that standard would never be able um, to do. And I think that one of the things that misses out then is being able to integrate knowledge and work across disciplines or fields um, because, and I just, I notice this even just, and I see classes today versus when I was younger and I think it was already starting when we were younger, um, that just like higher ed has become super specialized where everyone's got, that that's already happening in junior high and high school where, you know, you're you're switching to your specific teachers for your specific subjects and they're going to drill the specific thing. And there's not a lot of opportunity to see how these things relate, which makes life in the world very difficult when you, when you get out. Um, I think that's, um, you know, that's one of the challenges with theology of having catechism in eighth grade. Like, you're trying to form these kids, and that's great, but they haven't, you don't have a lot to work with to form them because they've, a lot of them, they've just been in the Christian school and the Christian home and whatever. And then when they, when you really have the opportunities to form, you know, they're gone. Now, that's a different episode. I don't, I'm not saying, like, don't give them communion until they're 23, Maybe like we separate that out. Um, but it is, uh, I think there is something to formation can only really happen. Uh, we had chapel today and Jason preached and it was all right. The text was good. <laughs> um, but you know that Christ is like a refiner. You know, he's like a launderer. Um, well, when does formation happen? It only happens when you are being challenged, when, when you do have um, areas of growth that are pointed out to you. It doesn't happen when, when that's not. Let me, let me ask you this, Josh. You had talked about like uh, early on that education, at least in the American period, ha- had to do with the virtues, which which you could take back to, to to Greek thought as well. And we get a little worried about that uh, from a Lutheran point of view because it it sounds like virtue for the sake of virtue rather than neighbor or work righteousness. And and we could also be uncomfortable with that, uh, you know, because we're. we're we're a part of a public school system, right, that we're paying for, and we're like, whose virtues, mm-hmm. right? But I think the truth of the matter <laughs> is is you can't get away from it, right? Uh, you and, and this is where I think the idea of formation is, is, is helpful here is it's not I'm going to the, – the difference is not I'm going to do formation or not do formation. It's either going to be formation or malformation, mm-hmm. right? So I'm interested in your taking that, like, should we be thinking about the virtue? Should that be in the back of our mind? Is that a part of our, should be a part of our education system? I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Oh, yeah, well, I, again, I think it depends on the system you're talking about. I know, um, and you can see it in the, in the news, at least in a, a public education system, there is that's still that same thing when it happened originally 
Um, it really was the Roman Catholic Church that said, you know, we're not comfortable with this common Christianity, and so we are going to, you know, start what is still, I think, the largest private school yeah. denomination in um, in the United States. And on one hand, it's a, it, it's something that, you know, I would applaud and say, like, yes, you know, you know exactly what you want your students to know, and you're doing that and taking it upon yourselves. But it is really tough, you know, as a taxpayer, too, um, especially as a taxpayer that doesn't have children. You know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I say that because of I hear a lot of arguments on both sides of, you know, school choice as an example. Um, and I always say, like, yeah, but I don't have a choice where my tax money is going to go because I can't take my child and move somewhere else and get a voucher. Um, you know, my tax dollars are paying for public education, which I think um, – I've talked to a lot of a lot of people who I think got into education for the the right reasons. You know, they really wanted to help students learn. And when you see things like, um, you know, removing things like social emotional learning, and you know, there's so much that we're taking out of education. Um, it really gets it down to we're really the only thing that can happen in schools is reading, writing, and arithmetic. And that's where I, I do, I, I find it fascinating to go all the way back to the beginning of the schools. And it's like, well, that wasn't even really um, the reason we started these schools in, in particular. And we use the school to solve so many of, you know, society's problems because that is where everybody is um, that, you know, it's, I, I want, I want to say, that uh, there's a, a sign that I think some basketball girls uh, at the high school when I was coaching them, you know, said like, you can't coach someone you don't love. And it's, it's so hard to, to think about how can you teach and not care about that person? And how can caring about that person not involve all of the other things, you know, that you want to, to share with them and, and see them, you know, grow into to be successful in life. Um, that it's like, yeah, it'd be really hard to understand what a really clinical, you know, you know, in a lab devoid of anything else, like what education would look like and what the results of that would be. Um, you know, and the, the, the argument too, I, I think, uh, Wade was talking a little bit about it. Uh, what, when you're going through and you're, you're doing all of the school, you know, to, to, to get a better life and, um, just literally lost my train of thought, but, but, uh, so I'm going to pause there. We'll, we'll set it back to you. Cause I, I know it'll, it'll return to me on that one. No, I think it's, uh, well, I, uh, look, this is a good point for me, Joe, but I've been sitting on this. Okay. Um, I found an article from 2001 heyday of Don Cherry's. Oh, okay. so it apparently closed, I think in 2017, but, this this describes the Windsor of, of that time period, I think, rather perfectly. It's like a little spring break for them. As long as they're having fun, we don't mind, said Staff Sergeant Greg Jolie of the Windsor Police Department. We were young ones, which is a very Canadian way to approach this. <laughs> Windsor assigns 20 officers to the area Thursday through Saturday. They're especially alert at 2 a.m. when thousands of youngsters pour into the streets. Occasionally, massive brawls break out. And each we- weekend, about 40 of the most obnoxious offenders end up in jail. Or worse. So Don Cherry is like, closed, but it was like a great hockey. It hockey was a town. it was a nice weekend back in the day. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder. I've and this is you know like a cause relationship. Like, is hockey? Do do we love hockey so much because it's filled with Canadians, or do we love Canada and Canadians so much because they 
you know, love hockey and they, they all seem to play it. This, um, is, this is a very good question. And the, the way you figure it out is imagine, imagine Canada without hockey. Well, it's like a John Lennon song. Imagine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's easy if you try. <laughs> would, you, uh, would you say hockey is the best thing Canada's produced? Um, I, I was actually surprised and I don't remember exactly what they were, but there are some of, and if you just stick in sports, like I actually think a lot of the sports that we play were uh, Canadian. Wasn't lacrosse Canadian, I think? Lacrosse was, but I think even it, one of the big ones, um, I don't, not football, but either basketball or baseball, like could trace its roots to, and I, but and then I was like, oh, I can remember where basketball. Oh, it and, does say, or. Four Olympic sports that you did not know were invented by Canadians. Now, this is no research other than Googling. And oh, there's a Canadian the flag on the website with a .ca, so I assume it's government. Oh, yeah. Lacrosse, wheelchair rugby, <laughs> basketball, baseball, so both. I, yeah. And honorable mention, hockey. Honorable mention. Well, I feel like wheelchair rugby was not hard to invent. Like, any, you just... So you took the sport and then you put in wheelchairs. Put in I, wheelchairs. I just but the started, other ones are impressive. I just started watching lacrosse because my my nieces nephews who play hockey all then did lacrosse this last summer, um, and I think they got into it because they were watching a hockey game with me and Wayne Gretzky was talking and a couple of NHL players were talking about the fact that they consider themselves lacrosse players. But to make a living, they played hockey, mm. you know, and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And then watching it, like, I was fascinated. Oh. It is a really fun sport to watch. But I thought hockey was violent. Like, they're yeah. wearing way less, and they are literally, there's no, it seemingly, there's no rules about the sticks. We used to get there's to play no a slashing. recess, but with, like, cheap sticks. But still, it, it's basically, you're using those as weapons yes. and occasionally, yes. like, passing the ball. Yeah. But the best part was just, you were assaulting your friends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because we were only allowed to play two and touch football, and I don't think that really like satisfied the desire for violence that <laughs> like a fourth grade boy has at you know mm-hmm. noon. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Pent up because of the Sitting poor educational system. Back yeah. to our yeah. main topic. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still uh, can't remember where that train of thought right. went. But. Uh, so, but it's interesting about the you know my formation. You know, what happened? In, Two things I'll remember in those that third grade and less range was second grade. Sister Michelle decided I didn't blow my nose correctly, and I still to this day don't know what I do wrong when I blow my nose. But whenever I blew my nose, I would have to stand in front of the class so <laughs> she could decide if I did it correctly or not. And then the the second one was um, apparently people weren't cleaning out their desks well enough. And so there was this streak where she just decided she would dump out your desk if it wasn't cleaned out well enough. And uh, she was like, she could have wrestled. She was, <laughs> she, was, she was sturdy. And I remember uh, she got my buddy's Greg, my buddy Greg's desk. And uh, she just, you know, you'd think like you just kind of turn it. She like curled this thing and turned it and just shook it all out and I just remember him like having to sit on the floor while he was sorting out his desk while we had class and uh that was better than the blowing my nose thing. I enjoyed that. I did not enjoy blowing I feel, my nose. But I, feel, I I was formed. I feel just because we're sharing the third grade story and I I doubt you would have seen this because um in our 
Lutheran elementary schools, and I think this was pretty widespread, there's like this black felt board that only came out during the Reformation and had all of these felt versions of Martin Luther and um, Melanchthon and, and whatnot, and they would they would go through the story of, you know, the the lightning bolt and getting scared and, you know, going, to the, and it was just like these little cartoon versions of them. And that is one of my most vivid memories of watching like, oh, and the lightning struck and, you know, Martin went home nice. and he, I was like, oh, and I assume because, and I, you know, you should never assume, but I assume like this was probably a, a, a Wells Lutheran, you know, staple in classrooms but then I could be wrong, and my teacher made this by hand did and stuck these that? things. I did not go to parochial school. Oh, that's right. Did you have Christmas pageants? Like, not just where you did, like, the because I noticed that most Lutheran churches I see, like, it's a church service where you yep. do, like, a... So we had a big... Like, we would do stuff for Mass for Christmas, but we also had a pageant. No. And I remember once... So she probably ended up being my favorite teacher, but I was terrified of her... Uh, uh, Miss Macrat, and she was so she was a late teacher, and um, she was very strict, but she also let us play chess like during class. Like it, we could we could zone out, we could go play chess if we wanted to go play chess. So we all got very good at chess. Um, but uh, once at a pageant, um, the music teacher had us sing Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, mm-hmm. and she got very upset and walked out. Yeah, and that is a memory too. And you know what that instilled in me. This is why we don't let um, schools outside of our own educate our children because they'll sing Rudolph at Christmas. No, what I actually learned was it is kind of stupid to sing that at a... Oh, at a pageant? At a pageant that's... Well, it wasn't you know, a church service. It's not about Jesus. You know what the closest... And then I... So I think back to all these songs, and you know what the song that was probably most about Jesus that we did every year? Did you guys do this one? You ever do the little drummer boy? Mm-hmm. And we would walk in and... That was like that was a banger of a song. Like I remember, like back then you just literally because you were just you know bum 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 bum. But you look back and there was not a lot of Jesus in the pageant. So I say, I say to Miss Macrath, thank you. You reminded me the true reason for the season. And uh, so may she rest in peace. And thank you for that. Well, what were we talking about? All before? of this still <laughs> is. I mean, it, it, this is good topics because this all is is formative stuff, right? And and what we're not talking about is you went uh, to you went to grade school, public school in California, huh? Yeah. So you uh, probably just like red marks and <laughs> <laughs> we're actually in a very, very fairly conservative town. Um, no, but this is all formative, and we're what we're not talking about so is you were re- oh yeah, you were Reagan country. You guys just like talked about trickle down economics. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. right away and up in seventh. Like at recess, you you broke up the unions. Like one side was like the union, and then no, you guys actually, went in. I'll, and I'll let me give you. I'll give you a story about. No job for your auto worker, Dad. Let me, let me make a point though first. Uh, this is all formative inside and outside the classroom. Right, it has to do with virtue, whether we we know it or not, and uh, we're not talking about flashcards. Or we don't remember that kind of stuff, and yet it was important that we did that because it. It did form our literally our brains, and, and so so I'm, try, I'm trying to salvage this podcast. Yeah. No, in seventh grade, no eighth grade, seventh grade, uh, the United States went to war, the first Gulf War, if you remember that. Which was that was a oh. great war if you were a kid. That you guys have the it was trading on cards. TV. Yeah, it was on TV. Shock and awe. Did you have the trading cards? No. 
I seem to recall. I seem to recall. Oh, you could get Norman Schwarzkopf, Patriot missiles. So uh, somebody. So we're in like whatever it was seventh or eighth grade. I don't remember which one. We have to look that up when the when the when we uh, when we stormed Iraq or uh, Kuwait. And uh, I think it'd be ninety one, right? Ninety one. So maybe it would have been eighth grade. Anyway, ninety one was just a good year in general. So, I mean, that war is so. A good this one, is uh, so. I'm in. Trading I'm in Los Cerritos. I'm I'm a Los Cerritos Intermediate School Matador, and uh, you know we had maybe like five hundred kids, and it was like you know it was a high school field lockers, and you went from class to class, and uh, a student had organized a walkout in protest of the war. Like seventh eighth grade. And so the whole school literally walked out. It was, it was fantastic. And the principal came out and said, you have to go to back to class or whatever. And I remember this one kid, uh, kind of, let's just we'll just say, uh, uh, more on the nerdy side, right? He, like, walked in front of this whole class, and the whole school, like, walks up to the principal who's got his loudspeaker out in the, out in the yard. And he's like, I thought we were supposed to be out here. Everybody left. I didn't know he was... Didn't want to get in trouble, right? Uh, so uh, I don't know if it was a in high school, a if I left leaning or right leaning school. Uh, I remember one walkout in high school, and if I remember, um, it was because they tried to get rid of the smokers' corner. So immediately across the street from the school, there was a, a corner. It was off school property, so everybody would yep. go smoke there, and then probably taunt a little bit, you know, while they were smoking, like, "Ah, we're over here, you can't." Mm-hmm. And I think like the neighbors didn't like. Mm-hmm. All kinds of people smoking, basically, in their front yard. And I think they tried to get rid of the smoker's corner. I, that's the one I remember that I think was our, our walkout. <laughs> See, but useless trivia, like, the as soon as you started talking about the the Gulf War, and, again, sometimes some people would argue what we're learning in school might, in some cases, be useless trivia as well. But the Gulf War, the first thing I thought of, of was that without the Gulf War, Beverly Hills 90210 because of the fact that all of the stations were covering it, you know, through primetime, Fox, this new station, was like, hey, um, you know, we're just going to show our shows. That's very true. 90210 was the worst rated show in the land, was probably on the verge of being canceled. But then, since that was the only thing people could watch because Fox was the only one airing anything, you know, now we have... Probably I'm, there's got to be a reunion coming up for 90210. Well, I and people forget it, that Fox is, was once great. like the little... Like, know nothing cousin of the network television news channels at nine a.m. instead of ten p.m. Yeah, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Well, it was like what the CW was for a while. Yeah, I don't know if that's still around. And and now look at Fox News, the source for yeah authentic. If I need fair, fair and, and balanced, balanced news, news, and I know it. Okay, so we were talking about formation, <laughs> and I got us way <laughs> off topic. Um, I am going to try to find some of my um, Persian Persian Gulf War cards. And again, I'm not saying. The war was good or bad. I'm saying as I experienced it as a um, middle schooler, it was awesome. Like I, from for what you're interested, like like remember Storm and Norman, mm-hmm. dude was just a hero. You know, like mm-hmm. this was. It was. You play with your friends. You ready for the beep? Uh, so, uh, um, so hold on. Yeah. Um, I'll point to you. So, at the same time where my my classmates are walking out in protest and you know trying to be like their baby boomer parents. I remember driving to school at the like the same week. Are you going to give me a signal? Just yeah. Okay. And there was two guys, ironically protesting. Two guys on a corner, right, with a with a with big sign. They're holding up, and they're like, just said, uh, "Let's kick their." 
and take their gas. <laughs> so that that was that was my child. Those are my memories of the. Uh, um, can I say? All right, now I think I can bring this back. We'll see if I succeed. Um, that I think this does actually fit with the education of the whole person thing somewhat because part of the idea of, of common common education and. Josh, you're very right. I, I looked at kind of the Roman Catholic experience when I was working on my symposium paper, and they're like, all this is is like a, a cauldron to turn us into generic American Protestants. And like, you know, you go to public school and get your King James Bible, and then you learn to be, you know, this kind of patriotic Methodist. And they weren't way wrong, like what what it was at some places at some times. Um, but there is a real power to that common experience. And and school connected to that, I think, in a lot of ways, also they're different now because, and here's why, school is also where you talked about common cultural experiences that we just, it's more difficult to have in general too. Music. How many, how many of, um, how many young people, you know, that are freshmen, sophomores here regularly listen to the radio? You're on Spotify and, and you don't have this kind of like curated for you experience of music. You can go find anything. Network TV. Um, you know, no gatekeepers of yes, information. Yeah. Thursday night is is this. Um, even our experiences of, and I, I mean, think of the difference in the two Iraq wars or Persian Gulf, whatever you want to call them. The first was a much more like coherent. Why? Because you had a limited number of news sources. You had general take. You did have some protests in Thousand Oaks. <laughs> they got a little bit heated. Um, but... Uh, but I think this is also something that's become more challenging with formation. And here's where I want to bring it back. Um, is not only is it more, more challenging now to agree on what should common experiences be, what should, co- what should be common in the common schooling, but you have people coming in um, without nearly the, the same amount of common at home before they're entering school. And I don't mean by this that we're a more diverse country or anything like that. Um, you could take any demographic that seems to be, um, you know, uh, have commonality in race or, or um, income level, whatever. There's there's far greater diversity within those groups as far as what common values are, what common experiences should be, um, what uh, um, the common assumptions should be about what school is for. And, uh, and so I think this is a real challenge for formation as well. What, dis- what common discipline should be, what should be standards for what, what, what gets disciplined and how. And I do, th- I, that is, you know, you mentioned the one successful reform in the past. That is something that I do really wonder, how do you bring that back if we do think that is a very important part of what we're trying to do? And, and I would say when I hear of frustrations of of teachers especially middle school and high school um or you read reports of people leaving teaching and why i think that is like we like the school is the last like vestige of the place that's supposed to fix our kids right we send them there and now they're gonna right they're gonna they're gonna feed them they're gonna um you know all these things and it's just how do you how do you form you have to have Play-Doh to make something with, and I don't know to what degree we have that. I don't know if that makes sense, but I do think just as we're sharing those memories, right, there was a, a unity to that. Exp- and it wasn't like a passing unity either, like with social media. Like, oh, there's a TikTok trend. It's big for a week. 
um, it was like there was a, a continuity that could be built upon, I think, um, that's maybe more challenging in our day. Um, and as we make school simply more data, um, I mean, what's more dangerous than someone who has a lot of data but no framework for it, let alone a framework that connects them to neighbor in a meaningful way? And and maybe that is where there's an opening for Christian schools if they can try to do that well. Yeah, I think and <clears throat> I think there's a reason why you see a, a rise in, in the classical school model, at least as, as an attraction. I don't, I'm not saying it's done well here. I'm not saying it's the answer. I'm just saying there's an attraction to that. And I wonder if, too, this is, a, this is another episode, but that there was a turn towards the psychological away from the philosophical, maybe in the, in the modern world where uh, you were curved inward and you stopped asking the big questions, right? So you, you, you're, you're asking sometimes very small questions rather than why I'm here. And, and, and um, yeah, you become more of an individual rather than a citizen and as a part of a, part of a, a larger group. I, I think there's, there's something to explore there too as you, as you think about uh, the change in the purpose and the design of education, I would imagine. And in this, I think, could be an episode two, but just, I'll stop here, but as I think on it, I do think if Christian schools are trying to serve in that situation and maybe fill a void, that's where a conversation also becomes important about what it means to have an appropriate culture at that school, right? If the Christian school is just going to become the private public school, well, then it's really not going to be filling the void. It's going to be taking kids who are maybe a little more academic success, academically successful, and it's going to be like what we joked about with the Ivies earlier. Um, but I think what, and by culture, I don't mean like culture war Christian culture. But I mean what we used to mean in Christianity by formation. Um, so that even the student who comes in and maybe doesn't share that background, um, they're welcome. And it's not expected necessarily that they become one of us. But they are going to have important common experiences and mm-hmm. and they would be attractive to the the overall culture and message not because it's of a psychological advantage to them like i give my life over to jesus and everything's going to be great and i'm never going to have sadness anymore but that there's a winsome honest robust presentation of what it means to be a human being the relationship to each other the relationship to god the relationship to the state those kinds of things that Christianity historically had done very, very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Josh, I think I have to go soon. So, Josh, why don't you you give us the final word here on formation and education? Oh man, the final word. Yeah. Um, how many final words do you want? You can have as many as you want. Yeah. No, the the my my big thing you know just listening to all of this and this is what again i mentioned at the beginning you know just someone in search of a research question you know i i keep coming back to that really big one like what is um you know from whether you're talking about a a faculty or a teacher's point of view a student point of view a parent point of view like what is the purpose of education um you know beyond the the vocational part if you take vocation away and say like um, you know, there's there's things that, and I am, you know, a graduate of a vocational education and licensure then eventually in, in teaching. You take away the, the part about um, 
you know, how you're going to provide and how you're going to, you know, make a living uh, later, but really just to focus on, you know, what then is left in that purpose for, for education? Like, why are you going to school and why are you trying hard? Because again, so much of it seems to be tied in a, so many different ways to money. I'm trying because I can get this scholarship and I can go to the school and if I maintain my grade point average. And once you start worrying about that, it really just takes away, I think, that ability and that option to fail and to have those struggles and to really wrestle with whatever the ideas are. And I just keep wondering then, you know, what what has to change is it society? Is it, you know, you look on Indeed and the fact that you have, you know, in order for, let's say, my grandfather to get the same job that he retired at, he's like, I would not have even qualified yeah. at the end. Um, and so there's so much of a push on that. You need this for, for work, but really to focus on, well, what do we need it for for ourselves personally and as a society, um, you know, the what the real purpose of education is? And then... If we do, you know, make any kind of changes, then how how does that spill over into the student? Because really, you know, I can teach as much as I want or profess about things and talk about things, but, you know, it really is a, a two-way thing. The student has to also, you know, want to learn. I mean, they are doing the learning in that sense. So, you know, being able to, to do that. And I've, I've always wondered, like, is this just a curriculum thing? Is this changing the way that we treat schooling? Um, I, I use, I always tell students when I, when I was getting ready to go to high school, I think the question still was, are you going to go to college? And now the question is, where are you going to college? And it just seems like we keep moving that, that finish line. So that all that change. Yeah. So I, well, I definitely think we've got another episode in this at some point. So what we're going to do is we'll narrow down because we, I enjoyed it. And I mostly caused it. Um, but I think there's a lot of good stuff to come back to. But yeah, I think, um, I mean, even just to t- be able to talk, what does a, a student-centered education even look like? Because I think so many in in a country that, that throws money at things and then manages money, which you have to do when you're investing, there's often a very top-down and um, the relationship level, right, gets lost and I I mean this is something I hear teachers talk about a lot is they don't have the opportunity to actually build the relationships that would help the student be ready to learn um, and I, I mean as someone who teaches classes at different sti- sizes even at the college level there is something to that when I the student I get to know better in the semester versus if there's a lot of them and I don't get to know them as well there's opportunities that arise so um, I think we need to brainstorm episodes ideas for a future episode I apologize to our listeners. This is the kind of episode. We don't get emails a lot complaining, but where I will get one <laughs> saying, could Wade talk less? Why does Wade interrupt? Why did he get off topic? So I'm just going to apologize for that. I will say at least one time I was trying to help you out because you lost your train of thought. Yeah, no, that one I, I, I invited. Eventually I remembered what it was, but then yeah. I was like, I don't know where why Hopefully I was going Hopefully the handful, and it's only a handful, who will be like, oh, man, I you know, I really appreciate Wade, you know, inserting a joke. So, like, the five of them, maybe four, almost a handful. I hope they enjoyed it. Uh, but in the meanwhile, we'll have to have uh, have you come back. We can talk more formation. I think formation is a topic that Michael and I are very interested in. And I, uh, we'd like to revisit. 
Um, I don't think we told you what to say at the end, so I don't know. I can either throw it to you or I can just say it myself, Joshua. Um, you, you should probably say it yourself. Okay. Well, I think as we, we think, what does it mean to be educators? What does it mean to educate? What does it mean to form? What we could maybe use less of is um, standardized, bureaucratic, whatever, and more uh, letting the bird fly. Oh, 